Welcome to Laundry Day, an unfolding series of conversations between artists, friends and collaborators gathered through Crossings, a group show about intimacies and distances. Each episode explores how the works in Crossings resonate, where they intersect and collide, and where they uncover new meanings. Laundry Day is a chance to connect from a distance. In this episode, co-curator Sophie Thorne speaks from the Adam Art Gallery with artist Richard Shepard in Whanganui. Kanakwe, Richard. Hi Sophie, thanks for having me on. Thank you for talking with me today. Crossings is quite a large group show with uh, 12 artists in total, and your work is one of the final three sets of works which we encounter once you enter the gallery and you're in the lower Chartwell gallery. I thought we might begin with a physical description of your work and how you came to make it. Okay, sure. So the what the um, what you would encounter in a gallery is ten framed photographs um, that are sixty by forty centimeters each in flush black frames. They're from a a larger series of photographs. I made black and white photographs that I've that I have that were made in 2017 during a time when my partner Tamsin was working for the Kapiti Women's Refuge. We were living on the Kapiti coast at the time. This was uh, so a few years ago, and during her work for the um, refuge, they were in negotiations with their landlord about getting some. Uh, much-needed maintenance done to their safe house, which is a vital part of the service that they offer to um, people in the region. And this was going on for quite a while, trying to get the landlords to play ball. And eventually they they said they were going to come in and get it inspected so that someone could come and do the, the work. But before that could happen, everything in the safe house had to be removed. Everything that didn't, um, that wasn't a property of the landlord had to be taken out. Any movable chattels. Yes, anything that literally wasn't nailed to the floor. And so you can imagine the kinds of objects and things that uh, are in a safe house. And a lot of these were donations, um, some of them handmade uh, to do with uh, the kinds of things that you might need in a safe house. Because a lot of the time when uh, women come into safe houses, they have absolutely nothing else literally other than the clothes that they're wearing. Uh, and well, and oftentimes their children and sometimes even their pets. But in terms of belongings, in terms of everyday needs, clothing, food, cookware, all those sorts of things, that all has to be supplied and exists inside the safe house. Um, and so all of that stuff had to be taken out, had to be removed from the safe house, to be displaced. And it ended up in my garage in boxes and bags and plastic crates and so on. And when that happened, it was kind of just like, I don't know, I felt this demand to respond to that event, to that sort of movement of all those different things somehow now came into my very immediate uh, presence. And so the the work is a photographic recording and depiction of those objects. And in terms of a maybe more precise description of the, the images, they're most of them anyway, are very 
cropped in, they're close-ups of the object. Sometimes it could be quite hard to tell straight away what you're looking at in terms of the identity of the, the thing. And instead it's a an emphasis on the tactile and physical qualities of the surface, of the different kinds of surfaces. So surfaces, folds, uh, the kind of presence of gravity and pressure inside and on top of different kinds of objects and in a very highly, in a kind of close cropped frame. And what you see in the, in the show is a kind of sequence or a sort of series or a combination even of those uh, objects. Mm-hmm. I, I knew about the, the work when you were making it and um, when we were talking about the exhibition, it kind of, it came to mind. I had absolutely no idea what it would look like. Um, and it, it really surprised me, the kind of formal qualities of it, how, you know, close cropped in and, and how, um, um, quite how stark the images were um, mm-hmm. and how intimate as well at the same time. I think the, that quality of intimacy comes perhaps from the that close-up aspect. Mm. The when you take a close-up of almost anything, sometimes with a with an image, it turns into a kind of face. Mm-hmm. Uh, transforms the close-up transforms objects into kinds of faces, and of course we 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 feel and read faces in very specific kinds of ways, and it was. It's also an attempt, I think, to uh, that disguising of the objects, that kind of cropping in and making it a bit ambiguous about what they immediately could be named as uh, was quite deliberate as well. Because I've, I think about photographs as this relationship or dynamic between display and concealment. So that the photograph is, is obviously a kind of making something visible, a kind of showing, some kind of spectacle, a display, a putting on show. But I think they are also have secrets. And I think they also conceal and hold back uh, something. And I think that that is the kind of push-pull, almost, if you like, of the, of the photograph. Mm-hmm. It's this familiarity, this recognizability, but also the the strangeness and the there's something in reserve. There's something that you don't know absolutely when you encounter um, a photograph. And I thought that that was appropriate to the subject matter as well because of the nature of the experiences that were very literally intimately tied to these objects. Um, there was the need for a certain kind of tact in that sense of balancing the uh, exposure uh, and the the visibility and the display and also a kind of privacy or a, a keeping something back at the same time is that why you you made them black and white i think i think i just prefer black and white photographs as well i think there's uh the the sort of the the transformation of perceptual reality into Photographic reality, I think, at least at this point for me, is much more stark when it's in black and white. I think there's 
something about the the simplification into black and white, but that also opens up a huge spectrum because it's not just black and white. There is this infinite interval between absolute black and absolute white, and I think it's those uh, the gradient between the two uh, that I enjoy um, exploring with the camera. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the selection that we made? The series has 24, is it 24 photographs in it? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it kind of depends. Sometimes uh, when you look at it, some things fall in and out of the the sort of cut, if you like. Um, but it's, we've got 10, it's probably, yeah, probably around another 10 or 12 in, this, in the series on a, of a similar kind. Mm -hmm. I was I was a little surprised by some of the choices I think just because uh naturally like some of the ones that I like didn't get picked if you mm -hmm. if you know what I mean but I think it, in terms of how the 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 work if we take the 10 photos as a single work relates to the other artworks in the show I think it makes a little bit more sense about what was selected yeah and thank you for allowing us to to do that to make a kind of selection to um, tease out some of the other kind of interactions that they could have mm. um, and would have. Um, it's interesting going to that um, that idea about the photograph and um, I always remember this quote, I think it's by Evelyn Bois, about um, photography being the abuse of power and indiscretion and you know that it can't help but be that um, as soon as you take an image. Um, and I always think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think the it's there's this uh, language that's very common in critical discourse around the photograph that's very aggressive, mm -hmm. uh, or that the photograph is this aggressive tool about taking and capturing and exposing, and it can have these very negative associations to it. I think there's this sort of photo pessimism within uh, quite a bit of critical discourse. And I understand where that comes from and I understand how that happens, but I, I also want to, that's perhaps what's feeding into this idea I've got of it as being this both concealment and exposure, that the photograph can also take care of things, not just capture them or steal them or appropriate them. The, 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 by extension, that the, the look the uh, vision is not also a um, an act of aggression itself. I mm -hmm. think that this is also something that is now very, very common, that vision, seeing, looking is aggressive and a violent act. And I think that some of the work that visual artists can do, whether it's photographic or whatever, is um, put some pressure on that idea and that the visual and the photographic in particular, um, can also be a means of taking care of things, providing a, an expression of the singularity of things, exposing the difference uh, inherent in things compared to say how we might already understand, how we might already name things, how, they, how things can people, objects, places can and do exist in different ways other than how we might uh, think about them in terms of speech or concept or conceptually. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the poetic functions of the, the technical image is to reveal something 
that is just to the side of normal perception and understanding. Mm, which is, I mean, a little, something we were trying to get at in the exhibition is these kind of things that are niggling at the edge of knowing. Um, mm. And it felt really important, I think, to me to be, because um, the way that we came at this exhibition was we had these kind of, I think it was fortnightly forums where we, um, this is Millie and Tina and myself, and we'd bring articles together and things we'd been reading or talk about artists and particular works which might have this way of fitting, fitting into this theme which was reflecting on this moment where the world sort of seemed to stop and there was this moment where, you, where change was possible um, and so many things were happening politically as well as, as lockdown and this kind of awareness of illness. Um, you know, here I was mm. checking the World Omega website every day before getting up just to see what the kind of stats were. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my experience of, of lockdown is, is one of those kind of lucky ones where I had a job and had a partner at home and we kind of, you know, did the slow cooking thing and wandered empty streets and, and were able to kind of hunker down here. But it was really important for me to think about in the context of home and being told to stay home, what about those places you really need refuge from? Yeah. And that's, you know, that was where your images came to mind, even though I had no idea what they might look like at that time. And I think, to me, they relate to Rosanna Lee's work as well. It also kind of talks about displacement mm. and Boaz Levin's essay, Reflecting on Havery, which is in the Kirk Gallery, um, which is a work about refugees. Yeah, so people who have had to leave their, their homes or are no, no longer comfortable there or never have been. Yeah, I think displacement is one of the binding threads to uh, a number of the uh, the works in the show. It was definitely something that when I was making the work several years before the pandemic, etc., cetera, um, that I was thinking of because a safe house for women's refugees uh, is obviously a place for displaced people. And the objects that then appeared in my garage became displaced objects. You know, these are things that were caught up in different kinds of movement. And again, this was one of the things that had a, such a strong attraction for me to, to respond to them is that they were making this kind of photographic intervention into these, this movement of displacement. So there's another one of these dynamics is that the photograph is this kind of stasis. It's this kind of condensing things, movement into a, a frame, a still frame. But that then these themselves become mobile. So the photograph is never a static object. It's always moving, especially, especially now with the, the way, the speed and the quantity that imagery can, can travel. And so thinking of these analogies between human experience and the, if you like, the sort of lives of things and how the two imprint onto each other. I think that was something that I thought was happening in several of the works in the, in the show, that there was this corporeal moment between the human and the, the object, whether it was painterly canvases or 
various kinds of textiles and fabrics or uh, a photographic print. Yeah, all these kind of threshold states. Mm. I think they're about um, the Vivian Lin work, which is called Threshold Upstairs, which is this kind of her working title for it was a book of skin. Mm. And each each week we're turning a page. So it's, it's quite a large book with made of architect's paper which has been kind of dripped with wax and dye and things like that and it, it makes these kind of skin-like surfaces and um yeah. and one of your images in particular and it's actually the image of the floor of your garage yeah really to me just looks like skin yeah so that's i mean as, as well as turning things into into faces the photograph the photographic print itself becomes another kind of skin, a kind of innovated skin. Yeah, I was very interested in how the experience associated with the objects would leave some kind of mark or printing or trace. I think this idea of the trace was really key. And of course, if we think of surfaces that receive traces and also are zones of display, the skin is one of the primary ones, right? Mm. It's, it's your barrier. <laughs> it is, it's, but it's also mm. it's a very porous barrier as yeah. well. And so that, yeah, I was, I was very explicitly going for that kind of tactility of surfaces, but blurring the lines between the, um, the sort of human and non-human, I suppose. <laughs> and the, I guess like the, the one of them is of my garage floor, uh, not just of the objects that came in from outside, because I wanted to include somehow that place in, in the in the work as well and now it's a place i don't even live in anymore because the sense was that the violence that underpinned what was happening to the women who were in the safe house and then for that period were not in the safe house because the safe house was dead out of action that was not something that was an isolated event i think that it and this goes for for all kinds of violence i think not just domestic abuse that these aren't I don't know, it was some of these ethical aspects that are maybe not immediate in the in the work, but things that are constant problems, I suppose, when you're thinking about them and trying to uh, make work, is that they're the I imagine the sort of violence is like this, this is gonna sound very abstract now, but as like this always ongoing kind of wave across a particular territory. And it would then concentrate in particular places and then recede and then concentrate in particular places and recede. And I felt like because of that, because there was this trouble and this difficulty in that was incredibly present, like this is a very, very common problem that I needed to somehow include, if not necessarily myself, but sort of this other place as well. So that it was this, network of connections and network of associations that it didn't just it wasn't just a problem over there uh, it was in here as well and this is a problem about the housing crisis in new zealand as well yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's a very very it's, big issue and i mean that that house also was somewhere that you had to you know quite quickly up and leave as well i mean not in a refuge kind of sense yeah we were we were, were renting financially yeah. uh exiled 
because we could no longer afford to live there, unfortunately. But now you're in Whanganui, <laughs> and that's good. And now in Whanganui, and Whanganui, it's, it's all good. Uh, it's, it's much cheaper. <laughs> uh, it's a lovely town. I've been, as I was in Kapiti as well, I'm doing my PhD through Victoria University in Wellington. So I'm doing it remotely. And so I'm at home a lot of the time anyway. So, and we were sort of talking about this a little bit off off air, if you like, about how for me during the pandemic, my sort of day-to-day circumstances didn't change a whole bunch. So it was just quite a unique non-uniqueness to the to my personal experience because everyone else had a, had to go home stay at home and i was like i'm doing this voluntarily <laughs> i'm <laughs> already at home day to day. <laughs> yeah it's me and my books and the cats the only thing that didn't really have to change is that i was doing some teaching at the time with massey and at palmerston north and that all went online and that was a, a new thing for me was trying to deliver classes through zoom Mm-hmm. And one of the um, public programs that we'll be having for crossings is um, a screening of The House is Black, which you will be introducing on the 28th of July at 6pm. Can you go into that film? Uh, sure. So The House is Black is a film by Farouf Farajad uh, from 1963 from Iran. And Farajad uh this was the only film she made uh or the only film she directed she participated in two or three other films as an editor and other technical capacities but this was the only film that she directed and had creative control over and she was mainly a poet is that she's mainly a poet a very very important poet in iran Mm -hmm. opened up whole new kinds of possibilities for um, poetic expression especially for women in Iran in the 1960s and subsequently as well. Um, very well known in in, the, in in Iran as a poet. And I think the House of is Black had, uh, it was known about, but I don't think it was, It's it's been very, it is super well known. I think it may have been shown in Documenter, one of the documenters sort of recently, which gave it a little bit more of a exposure but it's a short, relatively short film created in a leper colony um, near the city of Tabriz. And the film is uh, ostensibly a documentary, but it is a very singular documentary in that it weaves the poetic voiceover of Faru herself uh, with a very interesting form of montage uh, that depicts the everyday life of the people inhabiting the colony, which includes classrooms for children, some of the medical treatments, but most of all, it's the kind of ordinary everyday, often play that people are doing and experiencing in the, in the leper colony. It's uh, the quality that I've been trying to describe it and some other films, and this is part of what the research, some of the research I'm doing with PhD, in fact, which is in a, it's a film PhD, is this quality of magnificence, which is something that I think is present in The House is Black and some, some other film, particularly in certain documentaries, where there is this expression of the singular nature of people and things 
particularly in very, very dramatic and dire situations. And so the film doesn't offer any solutions. It's not a kind of like, these are the things we need to do to, to make leprosy disappear from, from the country. It's sort of like a very direct confrontation, a compassionate confrontation with existence, with ordinary everyday existence. She ends up adopting two children from she does the yeah colony. so she yeah. herself was incredibly moved by what she witnessed mm-hmm. uh, and that quality that quality of bearing witness to to your actuality but doing so in a very poetic way so I think this is a film that is a great monument to the poetic capacity of the documentary moving image the connection to poetry I think is interesting and brings us kind of right back I think to um, some things which were shared early on when we were kind of coming up with crossings and this group show was um, Millie brought along an essay by Ashley Young who's a poet who's published through the VUW Press titled Bones which is about a, a it's this kind of story about a boy with a rare bone condition and he is growing the second set of bones, the second skeleton which grows around him. And every time he's injured, he grows a new bone and the bones are growing in places where they shouldn't. So this kind of is protecting him, but ends up killing him in the process. And I think those, and Ashley actually came along and um, wrote a response to the exhibition, which she read out at the opening of the exhibition, which she titled Magic Eye. And I, I think the ability of, of uh, poetry to put these things in kind of into different terms, and I, I love the way that Ashley described things in Magic Eye, where she talked about the kind of the stretching of time. There's a um, a piece in the in that text that she read out, the section rather. I think it's near the start where she's I think well the the, the person narrating the text, the essay, which is this kind of poetic essay, I suppose, uh, is describing an encounter with a, a figure in the street that is sometimes her father and sometimes is not, mm-hmm. depending on where you are in relation to this figure. And the way that she describes this quality of the magic eye, which obviously refers to the those 90s images of sort of fractal depictions that you had to sort of squint at to reveal some hidden depiction. I think they're called auto-stereograms. <laughs> auto-stereograms is yeah. a technical term, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that moment where uh, in this encounter with the figure in the streets, uh, she says, we're feeling suddenly rearranged itself. Mm-hmm. And I very much like that idea that in any given moment, an encounter could take place where feeling is transformed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very beautiful description of what could happen in everyday life, but certainly what the artwork as an, an encounter can also um, produce. And, you know, putting works into con- conversation as exhibitions do, putting works in conversation around a, a theme, you get these kind of bouncing off and these ideas um, which you'd just never see in any other way if those works weren't drawn together. Yeah, I think there's 
I think the the quality of becoming public is a really important part of the the whole dynamic. Like these photos that are were were produced in 2017, so quite a long time ago, and this is more or less their first public showing. So it's not only that they now have they take on another they have another life and they create new encounters and more displacements and more hopefully more rearrangements of feelings mm-hmm. but they also now have these friendships if you like with the other the other works and the other genealogies of those works as well so i think there's there's a real charm to placing this many different artists coming from all these different perspectives and angles and locations in one space at one time. I think that's probably a really nice um, comment to end on, um, which is, you know, very flattering, actually, because <laughs> we hope that's what will happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you for being part of the first episode of Laundry Day, and we're looking forward to the screening on the 28th. So come along to that at 6 p.m. at the Adam Arthur. Cool. Okay, thank you. Cool. Thanks, Sophie. You can visit Crossings at the Adam Art Gallery Te Pātakatoi between 19 June to 22 August or view online at www.adamartgallery.org.nz.